You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with your support. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash you are good. We have bonus episodes over there. We just released a bonus episode that covered some of the conversations that came out of our uh, episode on Jurassic Park. And we talk about Return to Oz, which is a movie that scared the crap out of so many children. It was it was a horror movie that was marketed to children. <laughs> That's what those bonus episodes are. They're like casual conversations between a couple of friends covering stuff we can't get to in our larger episode. Also, you can be helpful by leaving a review for the show or sharing the show with folks or subscribing to the show. Anything, you know, anything that is helpful to podcasts generally that is helpful to us. Thank you so much to Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, which is a commercial and creative video content production company based in Portland, Maine, with an office in Nashville, Tennessee, and does work throughout these here United States. So if you need that sort of work done, made, produced, etc., get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. So just a reminder that we have playlists that accompany each of our episodes. You can find it in the show notes. They're inspired by our conversations about the movie and by the movie itself. So please look for that. It seems like a lot of you like it. I really appreciate that. And speaking of music, the music of You Are Good Volume 1 which is an album put together by Carolyn Kendrick of the songs that you've heard in the show is available on Bandcamp. You can buy it there. You can support us by buying it there. And it's also available on streaming. Whatever streaming service you're using, you can find the music of You Are Good Volume 1 there. Look for that link in the show notes as well. There's also an awesome piece in The Verge that just came out, which is about music that goes beyond just like instrumental music in podcasts. And it talks about the music in this show. It talks about this show. It talks about Carolyn's work on this show. And it's great. We'll have that linked in this episode as well. Are you a music writer or a music editor and you want to talk about how interesting it is that a podcast released an album of music you should talk with us about that i think thank you so much to the verge all right let's get into it we appreciate you we're glad that you're here and it's time to talk about mama mia exclamation point here we go again Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. How are you feeling right now? I feel amazing. I just watched uh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. I finished it like 10 minutes ago. I woke up feeling fairly down and I feel like a balloon was just inserted into my heart and blown up by Cher herself. (laughs) (laughs) And Joy, please announce yourself. Let us know who you are. Hi, my name is Joy Huilin and I am a travel journalist and an avid fan of You Are Good. So happy to be joining you guys today. We're so happy to have you. When the prospect of movies to cover came up, I can't remember how we settled on Mamma Mia. Do you recall how that happened? I think that I had been tweeting about the Mama's Mia like previously <laughs> and I was just going to like my own internal like deep dive of why this makes me so happy during these latest like really bleak Trump slash pandemic years. And, and you're dressed for the occasion. I am. I bought this dress in Greece because it would personify Greek summer. So <laughs> I just came from Greece too, like in September. So I'm I'm riding high on the the Mamma Mia vibes. Oh, that's perfect. 
you're an expert on many levels. So Sarah, can you give us a plot synopsis of Here We Go Again? There is a plot. It's it's for a musical. It's we go places. I feel like it has an unconventional plot, but in a way that I can't really define. But okay, so I watched this without the benefit of having seen Mamma Mia 1. (laughs) And so I was like, oh man, I might be completely lost. (laughs) And and obviously they made it an accessible movie for people who are not Mamma Mia completists yet. I mean, the basic plot of Mamma Mia 1, which I feel like a lot of people know, like what I know is that a young woman is getting married. Is that right? I'm already... Is that why she wants to figure out who her dad is? Joy, can you be our expert in this arena? <laughs> so in the first Mamma Mia, she does orchestrate this lavish wedding to invite the dads. Yes, correct. But not not in, not in the second one. Yes. And does she marry the guy she's with in this movie? It is questionable. I don't know if they're actually married at Ooh. all. They might be one of those very forward partnered couples. All right, I'm so excited to watch Mamma Mia 1. I'm really excited for the people who know and love Mamma Mia who are losing their <laughs> fucking minds right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's great for them. But Mamma Mia 1, in the movie, Amanda Seyfried doesn't know who her dad is. Her mom is Meryl Streep, and so she has three possible dads who she all invites to an island in Greece and they all have a musical about it. And so I was watching this and I was like, oh, I wonder who the dad turned out to be. And she settles it by being like, they're all my dad. I have three dads. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that they're just like, they're all the dad. And so Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, which is a title that I just love saying, is we've moved forward in the future. Donna, Meryl Streep's character in the world of the movie has passed away the year before. Her daughter is reopening the hotel that she loved and ran, I assume, and once again has invited the three dads. She thinks only one of them can make it to this grand hotel reopening. And so we spend about half or more of the movie flashing back to the original journey that Donna took graduating from school and going on an adventure across Europe and meeting and having sexy feelings for three hot guys and singing ABBA songs the whole time. Yeah, it's the past and the future sort of living side by side until they end. They get like whipped together like butter. (laughs) It should be called Mamma Mia, time is a flat circle. (laughs) Yes, I like that. And then also finding out that she's pregnant, Amanda Seyfried, and ending with this matriarchal Mm. musical extravaganza where time collapses on itself in a much more satisfying way than any Christopher Nolan movie I've ever seen. The end. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And then I will say, too, that like I was watching this and I was like, I hope they do Fernando. Ah. And (laughs) near the very end, Sherry's like, Fernando. And I was like, ah! (laughs) And then, and also, I was curious about what songs they would put in and like what songs from the ABBA canon are left that they didn't use in the first movie or which of these might be repeats. And I was like, I really hope they do Super Trooper, but like they're not going to do Super Trooper. It's such a kind of weird, kind of sad song. And I don't know how they would fit it in this. And then bam, very end, Super Trooper. It was incredible. (laughs) They squeezed it in just for you. Joy, what is your relationship with this movie when you were talking a lot about it? What were you drawn to and how does it speak to you? 
Well, first of all, I'm Swedish, so that is one of the more hilarious connections I have with like ABBA music, period. Mm. That was my life, like my early 20s, just sort of like backpacking around, kissing boys and seducing my way over the over the globe. Yeah, it's just that time when like the world is just wide open to you. And I think that breathless feeling of like, you just don't know what's next. What's the next adventure? Mm. And who are you going to meet during those adventures? You travel a lot, right? Like you're still a globetrotter. You still appear in many different places on a regular basis. Yes, I did make traveling my job. So it it, it worked (laughs) out for me, definitely. Oh, fantastic. Sarah, what were you expecting? Well, my main association with this movie is that I think it was your and Carolyn's first date, right? Yes, that is true. And I know that when Cher appeared in this movie, which is kind of a surprise, I think, she shows up at the very end. And I know the story is that like you and Carolyn like grabbed each other in joy and like Aww. that's when you knew. And now you're the celebrity couple of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> like in my own personal <laughs> canon of celebrity, like you're the owl and... <laughs> Carex, Carol Alex. Carol X. Calix. Alex, I like that. And it's weird that I haven't seen Mamma Mia. I feel like this is like the contrary streak in me where when this came out, I was probably, I was 19 or 20. And I think that was me at like the extremist nadir of like pretending that I wasn't a very whimsical person. I was like, I hate whimsy. <laughs> Secretly, I love it. <laughs> So I didn't see Mamma Mia because it was such a big deal when it came out. And I think actually this was before I fell in love with ABBA. And Mm. at some point Mm. in the 10 years between these movies, I figured out that ABBA makes heavenly music, that it just does something truly magical to my brain Mm. and spirit. And so I think I just expected this movie. I was like, there's going to be a lot of ABBA in it and presumably people doing some stuff. But like, it's an ABBA musical. Like, you can't go wrong. That was really my feeling about it. And I trusted that it would be some kind of joyous ride because that's the role I knew it played in your guys's lives. You're right. Carol and I saw this on our first date and I had no idea what to expect. I similarly hadn't seen Mamma Mia. And like, I was so taken by how not just like charming this movie is, but it's really clever and it's joyful from start to Mm -hmm. finish. It has like not an ounce of cynicism in it. Mm -mm. No. You know, like I can be a relatively cynical person. I feel like the point of this show in one way or another is trying to enjoy things without cynicism and Mm -hmm. very occasionally we'll get something that makes that very, very easy and this is one of them. Mm -hmm. But Sarah, I was telling you earlier that Mark Kermode, one of the Observer film critics, gave this five out of five stars. Good. (laughs) I find this movie to be absolutely fascinating. I love this movie so much. Someone who I feel like doesn't get celebrated enough in this movie is Jessica Keenan-Wynn, who plays young Tanya, which is Christine Baranski's character. Oh, yes. Casting younger versions of people is really hard. And I think they also did a really great job with Julie Walters, who Mm -hmm. plays plays, uh, young Rosie. Like casting younger versions of people, especially beloved people, especially Christine Baranski, seems impossible and holy shit they nailed it with this person like her performance is amazing and i was like it's funny that christine Bransky's character has had the same haircut for 
40 to 50 years. And I was like, Sarah, be honest, you're going to have the same haircut in 40 to 50 years. Like you find something that works and you stick with it. <laughs> but in this whole movie, Sophie, sorry, is trying to honor her mother, Donna, through opening mm-hmm. this, opening this spot. But Sophie is so well taken care of by this like Greek shop owner who who was there, <laughs> whose house she lives in, who helps her give birth, and she gets the waitress from Tommy Boy. The waitress from Tommy Boy. <laughs> and she gets not one bit of recognition in all of Sophie's wildly obsessive dedication to Donna Sherry. <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah, where did that lady go? They should have a framed picture of her somewhere, maybe, or something. That's true. <laughs> Or they could just cut to her being an angel and also singing at some point. Why not? Oh, that would have been so nice if she was accompanying Meryl Streep in the uh, My Love, My Life scene. Okay, but in the first movie, they do say that she's named after her like great aunt or something. So that's supposed to be like a clue. So we're learning more about this. Okay, great, great. (laughs) Yeah, from a Mamma Mia completist. Mama meetest. All two of them, so. (laughs) Joy, I'm so curious, like, what is your relationship to ABBA? What role do they play in your life? When I moved to Sweden in my early 20s, it was, like, very clear that, like, ABBA was uncool for, like, the people of my generation. It was, like, the golden oldies club or, like, the middle-aged people went to go dancing. But then, you know, like, a lot of us, I saw, like, Muriel's Wedding, Mm. and then I eventually saw, like, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and you just saw ABBA just sort of, like, reanimate people and, like, give them this sort of exuberance and silliness and... I don't know, like that sort of glam rock disco everything that you could be like a maximalist about life. And I think that mm-hmm. that was like the, the inroads to like starting to become ultimate ABBA fan. Although I haven't been to the museum. I can't claim that status. There's a museum? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, there's an ABBA museum and you can make your own ABBA music video in it and take it home. Oh my God. I'm going to go. I'm going to go there. That whole thing where like ABBA was out of fashion for a long time and then and then through I mean, very similar. I have a very similar path with through those movies that you mentioned being like, oh, like ABBA is pretty cool. You realize like kind of like how much up until maybe the past 10 years, mm-hmm. coolness was just dictated by very straight heterosexual takes on what was cool and what wasn't like whether or not Mm -hmm. we wanted it to be I Mm -hmm. think like in the culture it was like ab is not cool but like the people who were holding on to it being cool in one way or another were like queers and weirdos Mm -hmm. ultimately like our our people right but then it's funny that this movie and the previous movie and I understand that they have lives in you know Mm. in in theater etc but like are very straight movies Although having three dads is like... Yeah, actually, I made a note in this last movie that not only does she have three dads, she has three mothers, too. Mm. Oh, she does. And I would argue the fourth with the shop owner. Oh, yes. The, the grandmother, maybe, potentially. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's those are great points. They have a very queer family. Like an asexual polycule, like of just like six <laughs> six parents raising Sophie together. Oh, I love it. Right. And the adorable friendship between these three men who are united by mm. having loved the same woman and now they get to love each other and tease each other. Yes. And dance stiffly, as stiffly as possible. I, I wrote this note that was like, nobody had asked Colin Firth to ever dance before. <laughs> <laughs> 
Pride and Prejudice. Well, no, there was dancing in Pride and Prejudice, but it was very choreographed. Yeah. It's you don't have to like, you know, it's shaking a tail feather in Pride and Prejudice that I can remember. <laughs> there was no like hip movement necessary. In <laughs> like I can't get over thinking about the fact that like, those three men in particular mm. are people who are like, we are actors and then are like in this movie sh- sh- shaken with each other. And I love that so much. I had read that Pierce Brosnan, uh, when he heard about the first one, Mamma Mia, just like took it without even reading the script. Just like the newsies yeah. thing. He had no idea that he was going to be like singing and dancing. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like Meryl Streep. The hot blonde from theater school in Greece. Like, done. I'm I'm coming. I'm on the plane, like, already. Can I sing? Haven't thought about it. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll learn it on the plane. I'll figure it out on the plane. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love what we've said already about, like, family dynamics here. And this Mm -hmm. has fallen into a month of movies that, in one way or another, sort of talk about these non-traditional family dynamics. Which is the only appropriate theme for November, aside from just depression Mm. you could also have done that but no no thank you and these things might relate in one way or another (laughs) (laughs) can we talk a bit about sophie's dream of living her mother's dream and like what what's happening there because that seems haunting well you guys didn't finish the first one this essential plot line where (laughs) she abandons the wedding she's like fuck this i'm not going to get married let's go travel the world sky Uh. and you know pierce brosden stays with meryl to like do the hotel stuff oh yeah but like it's funny because i was saying that like this blue sky movie is a little bit like this dream of succeeding at capitalism without capitalism, but it's still capitalism at the end of the day. It's a very Western Europe fantasy of like opening a hotel and like getting to live this like dream, dream vacation life, but like at a very modest amount of work, like actually put into it. Hmm. So like, is she living this dream now because she feels, why is she devoted to doing this? Like, why is she devoted to taking over where her mother left off? Um, yeah, I think it's just like sort of like enmeshment, maybe (laughs) that like it was her mother's dream and it's finally come to fruition. And then like they're in the hotel industry, they're hospital people now. So that's what they know what to do. And I mean, working, but in paradise. Mm -hmm. Something I found interesting about Here We Go Again is that we start with Donna being like, I'm going to see the world and do great things and be free. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, oh, no, I figured it out. This is the little specific bit of the world that I want to be in now for the rest of her life. Right. Mm -hmm. It feels realistic to me. Sometimes you have to cast a wide net and then it's a great adventure too to find the place that you want to commit to. Yeah, absolutely. I know that in a big way, like I've been to many places a lot over the past decades. And now I feel very strongly about like immersing myself in a particular community and getting a lot out of that community and figuring that end out. I worry for Donna having made this decision at like 23, Mm -hmm. considering how many options there theoretically are. And she's just like, you know what? I'm staying on this Greek island for the rest of my life. I'm I'm slightly concerned for her. But like I said, I don't know what ends up happening in Mamma Mia 1. Like maybe other things happen. And I'm having a baby <laughs> right now. And also not to sound too much like Amanda Seyfried in another movie, but like, why isn't she Greek? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Like this is something I've thought about quite a lot. That you know, the original Mamma Mia musical was like written by British people. Like it's all like a very British mm-hmm. fantasy. Because British people go to the Mediterranean, like. Americans go to Florida, right? To Florida, exactly, exactly. It's just like they're like um, sunny vacation holiday spot. So having Donna at 23 decide to like open a hotel, like I feel like it's actually like a middle-aged retired person fantasy that like mm. maybe older mm. people like dreamt about and sort of like adapted to like mm. a 20-year-old in this case. That sounds like a sitcom. I, <laughs> I bet that probably already is a British sitcom. <laughs> probably. Prunella scales in it. <laughs> Joy, can you tell us about, I mean, you're a resident Mamma Mia expert at this point, because I think one of the things I enjoy doing with Alex here is being like ostentatiously clueless about stuff, because mm. I love to model that for the little children of the world. <laughs> but do you, what do you know about like how the Mamma Mia franchise came to be? Like, why are we lucky enough to be now living in this cinematic universe? So the original story is that this one woman, and I'm sorry that I can't remember her name offhand, she was like working with somebody and then she got to drive like either Bjorn or the other guy around. And she had had this idea, I want to do like an ABBA musical. So she sort of like pounced on this opportunity to be like, hey, I know you guys aren't like into this idea but like what if we did it hey (laughs) and like now it's making like four billion dollars like the musical like on its own and benny or the other guy was like sure you can i was just researching the the abba music video director because like his films of their music videos was sort of like the leaping point for like a lot of the eventual films like Muriel's mm. Wedding where they just basically cut by cut like copy Lasse's yeah. cinematography. They're like, yes, because this is perfect. You can't change it. It's golden as it already is. I want to try and describe what ABBA is for people who, I don't know, haven't let them into their hearts yet. If you haven't yet, you probably will. They won the Eurovision contest, right? Is the- for Waterloo. For Waterloo, yes. Yeah, which I think for years I thought was a song called Guadalupe. <laughs> And they were just unstoppable hit makers through the 70s. And their signature look was like, I mean, costumes that we see in this movie, especially Mm. at the end, that like are impossible to wear with an ounce of irony. Like it's just satin and glitter. And to me, there's something so special about them, how like there's no irony to the work. Mm -hmm. Music that feels constructed almost in a scientific way to release euphoria in the human brain. Mm -hmm. And that they just were a part of the foundation of popular music, I think probably changed popular music forever, just for for quite a while. And then one of them left to become a princess and their (laughs) marriages broke up. And I, I don't know, I feel like they're like this interesting almost like a companion group to Fleetwood Mac where it's like you just get to hear these people singing about their relationships for as long as they can stand all being together. Yes. (laughs) And I feel like that's like so well represented by Donna and the Dynamos. (laughs) Not that specifically, but like they're at this like very important party. The two elder members are just dressed in their like 
I don't know what that fabric is that they're wearing, mm-hmm. but they're like wearing their costumes from this time. And like, it's important. It's not serious, but it's serious. Like they're not doing it in an ironic way and they're just there. Yeah. I just read this interview about Holstrom saying they were serious about being silly. Mm. And I think that that commitment shines through. There is innocence to like the Swedish personality. I think that kind of comes through in their performances as well. Definite thanks to their costume designer who basically, Hmm. apparently you could write off all the costumes if they could not be worn on a day-to-day basis. That's brilliant. The entire look was just like around this tax loophole. So it had to be so outrageous. Did they ever like run costumes by their tax person or whatever? And they were like, no, you could wear that. (laughs) That could be streetwear. Make those bell bottoms bigger. I'm not sure, but I just read something about Bjorn being up for like tax evasion because of like the costumes. And then like it was like subtle that no, they were definitely not wearable. So he he did pay all his taxes, which is a very Swedish thing. We're very into paying our taxes. Oh my God. Like don't evade. I think sometimes we get so into talking about stuff that we forget to acknowledge the geniuses behind stuff. But the the costume designer, like Ab is primary costume designer. And Mm -hmm. and Joy, you'll have to help me with the pronunciation of this name. It's O-W-E. O-A? O.A. Sandstrom is the costume designer and he looks like he likes to have a great time. And I just I just finished reading like an interview with him and it was like I was like inspired by like Scandinavia and like, you know, dawn on the snow and taking from like different cultural influences. So he was having a great artistic time fashioning these these garments. That just must have been so cool. Like imagine you are a costume designer, like that's an area of interest. Mm-hmm. Although he's a he's a clothing designer, a, a zoologist, and a safari leader, yeah, yeah, and a flamenco <laughs> dancer, and a restaurateur, and a florist. But imagine, like, you're into being a costume designer, mm-hmm. and then you just are suddenly Abba's costume designer. Yeah. <laughs> like, cool. And here we go again, and the first uh, Mamma Mia. That moment when it switches over to, to the credits and they just get to go full ABBA yeah. mm. wearing their like flippy sleeves and like just having a really good time it's just joyous the ending of this movie I think there's plot but it, it feels pretty minimal like I don't think it ever gets in its own way by trying to have too much stuff happen because if you were doing that you couldn't have a song every four minutes <laughs> <laughs> The kind of finale of this movie, just for context, I was watching this while eating a complimentary breakfast at a Holiday Inn. Mm, Nice. So the like penultimate scene before the credits is that we have found out Sophie is pregnant. So we cut essentially between Donna having her and then Sophie bringing her baby to be christened. Mm -hmm. And Alex and I were texting and he was like, yeah, this is the second movie that Meryl Streep and Cher have been in together since Mm -hmm. Silkwood. And I was like, I don't think, is Meryl Streep in this movie? Alex can't remember anything. She's probably not in this. And then Meryl Streep turns up at the very end, like her spirit singing to her daughter, having her baby christened where she had Mm. her christened. And I just was like immediately started full on weeping. Oh my God, seriously. Yeah, I started crying. Yeah. I feel like ABBA works for me because... It's like this huge ball of glitter that inside has this pure beating heart that is trying to speak to like, what does it feel like to be human? Mm. What are feelings like? What is love? (laughs) What is it like to be these people that we are? Mm. That ending feels to me like, I don't know, something I think about (laughs) as someone with an aging mom of like, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Mm. Because the like people you love 
mm-hmm. don't leave you. And mm-hmm. they stay with you and you carry them with you and you can see them and feel them. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my hope that like I'll always have like a Meryl Streep mm-hmm. type spirit with me. Like when I have a daughter someday, mm-hmm. like when my mom isn't around, like this is kind of the like utopia that enduring love I think gets to be. Yeah, that's lovely. And then I was just sitting there like crying and then we get to the finale credits where just like the dead are there and everyone's younger selves are beside them and just like <laughs> mm. everyone we've seen this entire time are together yes. and they're all singing and dancing and I was mm. just like face covered in tears laughing <laughs> with pure joy like the ending of this movie just like is incredible. <laughs> so that's kind of why I brought up earlier Sophie's commitment to like honoring her mom in one mm. way or another is like, I remember like when I, you know, I had like a, a loving, but very complicated relationship with my father, which we dedicated a podcast to. And now we are doing why our dads, here we go again. You are good. The sequel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But like when he died, I felt it interesting and odd compulsion for a long time to like do stuff that honored him Mm. that like recognized that he was a person in the world Mm. stuff that like wasn't immediately my interest but it felt like I was kind of inhabiting him and like keeping keeping him alive and I don't exactly know what that's about like I don't know I don't necessarily feel like that was expected of me. I don't feel like it was necessarily owed, but I felt a compulsion to do that. I also feel a very strange compulsion to do that with David Berman of the Silver Jews who died a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. who feels like a really kind of like spiritual informant about everything that I do. When people you love die, I mean, it's so it's so obvious. It's like part of our mythology forever, but like you don't want them to go away. And part of the way that you ensure that they don't go away as you kind of pick up their work. I can't believe that of all the movies we've talked about, the one that's making me cry the most is Mamma Mia, Here We Go. I mean, I can't believe it. It's the music of ABBA, like, of course. <laughs> yeah, when I was reading a book about Swedish culture, um, it said mm. that we're a melancholic people given to much merriment. Hmm. That is exactly like ABBA's music, right? Because like at the mm. core of their music is this melancholy and loneliness and, you know, the pain of being human. And it's sort of wrapped, mm. as Sarah said, like in this like glitter and glitz and these like wall of sound vocals, you know, carry you upward. But like in the center of it is, you know, I was thinking of you last night in Glasgow, like when you're just alone in your hotel room and yeah. we've all had those moments where we feel so alone. And the sight of you will prove to me I'm still alive. This one I think exactly. is such an amazing oh, lyric. Yeah. Yes, it's gifted. We have the physical, like the actual physical manifestation of Fernando in this movie, <laughs> played by Andy Garcia. So random. Andy so Garcia's random. best role ever, like unequivocally his best role. Well, you haven't seen Dead Again, but yeah, it's a tie. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Cher is like, I need a hot man to kiss, and it has to be Andy Garcia. Like that's, I think that's what happened in casting. Yes. And he's just a man whose heart is broken and he will never be the same again. And then fortunately, uh, he's reunited after 40 or so years with the love of his life. And that, yeah, that's just like an ABBA vibe. I also love how the the math and the timelines work in this movie, because if you think about it at all, it makes no sense. <laughs> right. Because Meryl Streep was born in the late 40s. We see her graduating college, I guess, in what looks like the late 70s which would make Mm. Sophie 45 years old. 
But like every, it's like the young people are generically young and the old people are generically old and they just kind of bounce between 50 and 80 and it doesn't matter and don't worry about it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Joy, this is like a, a less deep question, mm-hmm. but of the three younger versions of the male protagonists, <laughs> which are you the most drawn to and why? I mean... The reason why I'm a Swede today is that I've had two Swedish boyfriends. So I would have to say the charming sailor, Swedish sailor. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The blondies, they just get me. He's certainly a charmer. Absolutely. He knows all the right things to say. What what about you guys? Yeah, I do. I want want to set Sarah up with young Harry if that were on the table. I got that text before I watched this and I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. And then watched it and I was like, yep, that's, yep, that's correct. (laughs) Of kind of like the uh, the folks on the table, like young Sam seems like conventional no brainer, Mm. but um, I like young Harry so much. Mm. Yeah. He's so earnest though. Like it's just all that painful, like yearning. Yeah. He's a delightful, delightful and er so sweet, so earnest. I feel like, again, that was like some genius casting, like mm-hmm. if not necessarily physically with some of them, definitely vibe-wise. Yeah, and oh, I yeah. saw that they brought in Richard Curtis of Love Actually to like help write the screenplay. And like he's really good at that sort of young man vulnerability kind of, but like mm. silly and charming stage of life, right? Where you're just falling mm. in love with everyone and... You're making a mess with all your love. <laughs> <laughs> Does this movie have a... I'm not going to say like a moral, but like, what is this movie saying? Well, when I've like thought about why this movie is so popular, both of the movies, it's just that like, I just keep coming back again and again, because I'm, I'm a travel journalist, right? So we travel and we like talk about places to go to and you kind of like suspend this whole like working to live, you know, concept mm. that, you know, you're allowed to just be. Mm. Right. And you're allowed to like swim, like go skinny dipping in the Aegean Sea and eat delicious Greek feta and feel the sun on your bare skin. And you're not thinking about like, oh, my God, I'm going to be homeless if I don't like turn in this like assignment or just all of these um, quotidian concerns that we've created for ourselves as a a society. Right. Mm. So I think that these movies, you know, are trying to be like the suspension of like capitalism, like the effects of capitalism. Mm. Like if you could live a life where you just only did things that you found meaningful and in a beautiful place with all these beautiful people around you, then that would be paradise. And and it's funny because in Swedish society, we actually (laughs) believe in utopia. Like we believe that you can like plan for a utopia. So like Mm. the the Swedish connection is quite funny to me because like we're, you know, we're aiming for that and hopefully coming as close as possible. Yeah. Well, like plot wise, this was the first time I noticed she's planning this party for millionaires, right? Who like <laughs> ultimately are going to yes. be influencers in one way or another and suggest to each other to come to this this hotel on the island. Mm. And the millionaires don't come because of an intervention by nature. And who populates the party but a bunch of nearly out of work fishermen yes. and their wives yes. or yeah. their partners or whatever. And I thought that that was so cool. Like I didn't notice that the first several times I've seen it. And like this is a party for working fishermen and family <laughs> which is so yeah awesome. like that, that, that's like the weird tension of being a traveler or a tourist because 
Mm. When you are a traveler tourist, you are by nature in a better situation because you're the person who has gotten to take that time off. Mm. And then the locals, you know, they're going about their like normal lives. And I, I did think it was interesting that they did address the Greek economy in this film because right. mm. the last film came out so long ago, right? So then like all of the years in between then, like what's happened in Greece has been, you know, quite a massive, massive problem for the Greek economy. Yeah. And I feel like they call it austerity, which is just makes me think of like uncomfortable dining room sets. Mm. It doesn't really quite encompass the economic devastation. No, no. And like, so I just like went into like this deep dive about why Britain and Greece have this relationship. Hmm. Also, like, you know, Greek, the cradle of Western civilization, right? We all know this if we studied like literature or philosophy. And I was like, how do they go from like, you know, epic civilization where like, you know, all of us is like sprung out of like from Athena's head or her brain. And now they're this like sort of devastated developing country where like, you know, they can't really get a foothold into like a, a stronger economy. But um, it turns out it was just a lot of war. And then, like, at some point, like, Britain came in and was like, oh, but you're Greece, so, like, we're going to, like, try to, like, help you, like, regain stability. Hmm. Sarah, you have been, at least before everything happened, um, a pretty incessant traveler. What in this spoke to you about that? I mean, you already talked about how the, like, settling down someplace in one way or another speaks to you. Like, how does the traveler's view strike you? For whatever reason, when I woke up this morning and started this movie, I was just feeling extremely down on myself. And so I was watching the scene where Donna graduates, which turns into our first musical number where her headmaster, whatever, is like, you're going to do great things. And I was like, I haven't done great things. I'm the worst. Mm. And, you know, the movie continues and your mood changes because it's Mamma Mia. And then thinking about this now, I love this movie's definition of great things because it isn't like she's going to make the best art ever or like she's going to mm. be the head of a hospital. It's like she's just going to like go around freely loving and being true to her feelings and mm. raising a child and figuring out what she wants and what feels right to her and committing to that. Mm. Like, I love that definition of greatness because I feel like I have been, I think my incessant travels before things became complicated, like there were all these places that I wanted to see and experience, but it became clear to me fairly early on that it was relationship based. And I was going places because I wanted to spend time with people I loved or that I felt like I was going to love and then did or just devote time to relationships in a way that makes me feel extremely extremely lucky in the context of American life and also like I don't think you should have to be that lucky to be able to yeah. live that way of all the the kind of ways that I have grown in my life you know you grow up intellectually and you grow up physically but like the way that I've grown up emotionally is by being able to focus on spending time with people that I already loved or came to love by being able to kind of mm. bounce around North America. Still haven't been to Greece. Mm. Still haven't been to the ABBA Museum. <laughs> <laughs> I did go to the Norwegian Nazi Resistance Museum, but Ooh. that one is like a very different. Ooh, no, they are very angry at us because we did let the Nazis through Sweden to Norway. So that's on us. Yeah. Well, Norway keeps getting all the skiing medals at the Olympics, right? So I feel like yeah. that, <laughs> I don't know. That's what that's all about. 
<laughs> well, they're the most rich country in Scandinavia too. So they've got that going for them. Well, and this gets to something that I was wanting to ask you, Joy, because I mm-hmm. feel like Americans tend to see Scandinavia as flatly either kind of a utopic place where you're not mm. going to be bankrupted forever for having a broken toe. Yes. Or more darkly as this like white supremacist fantasy where everything's great because all the children are blonde. Ew. But like what is Sweden really? Well, first of all, I will say for the listeners that I am uh, Asian, Thai Chinese in background and I'm mm. a quote unquote new svensk, which means like a new Swedish person, new citizen. Mm. Mm. And we're about like 20% of the Swedish population. Mm-hmm. Most famously, we took in like about like 150,000 Syrian refugees like in 2015. Mm. The truth is always like somewhere in between, right? We have these like incredibly generous governmental policies about like asylum and, you know, about taking care of each other because we're like a communal based society. But like we aren't the Aryan fantasy that a lot of the far-right groups, you know, have done. Like, they've adopted, like, runes and, like, just all of these. You know, I think it's the video game's fault. Like, they're just, like, playing, like, Valhalla mm-hmm. and they're like, yes, like, I'm like, this. Or no, all those, those series, like, Viking and The Last Kingdom where they're just, like, really hot men, like, fighting and they're like, yes, like, it's like this sort of erotic fixation on the violence, mm-hmm. the violent culture. But, Newsflash, in my Swedish culture class, they said that the Vikings in Sweden were more like businessmen, that they were just <laughs> in their little boats trading. It was more like those mm. bloodthirsty Danes over there that were like mm. the violent ones. I mean, I'm not really sure if that's quite true, but... I can't believe Hagar the Horrible lied to me like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but as as you say in Sweden, we've ha- we had a lot of war, like a hundred year war, and then it was stupid and terrible, so we just stopped fighting, like forever. Hmm. Yeah, the truth is that please go to Sweden and experience just like everybody's like fairly okay. Like we don't have a lot of poor people, and we take care of each other, free education and healthcare, and and we definitely pay our taxes. We're very into paying taxes because we know that it helps take care of people. What a concept. So how do you think we'd get Americans to be into that? Is that a is that on the table or is that a lost cause? Like a lot of people have studied the Scandinavian model. And like the truth is, to be told, in monocultures, it is much easier to have the sort of like social cradle to grave welfare state. In America, however, we have like both individualism and we have, you know, like not a monoculture. We have this like incredible, lovely melting pot. But it's hard to like build this feeling of solidarity, right? Because there's Mm. some people on the right, primarily, who think some people should not have these things, these nice things. And they're willing to sort of like cut their nose off to spite their face. Mm. They themselves don't get free education or healthcare as well. So I've been asking this question since I became Swedish. Like I'm like, uh, these are my two homes. And like, how can they become like closer together? I can only imagine that that has to be one of the strangest cultural switches is the States to Sweden. They feel like two different vibes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's astounding because like, there's like a gentleness to life when you know that you can like, you know, can you work any like job possible, like in Sweden, like you can be working at McDonald's or being like a trolley driver. I've actually like looked into this. I'm like, 
maybe I can just like, drive a trolley and then, you know, buy a little piece of land in Sweden. But you're, you're going to be like, fine, you're going to be taken care of. And then to come to America where it's just like, well, we don't think that you should be able to take care of yourself no matter five jobs worth that you're doing. It's, it's, it's a bit insane. And I think it has a lot to do with the, the housing market mm. and amongst other things, but. I've never lived in a country other than the United States. And I'm curious about how much of my basic sense of like what it is mm -hmm. like to be human is based on this fairly specific and quite toxic culture we have where like you are nothing if you're not the best. Mm -hmm. Imagine a world where people are allowed to dream medium. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, you're kind of like paraphrasing a, an essential core value of Sweden, which is logum. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is what Swedish people have told me, the ones who are actually from Sweden itself, that lagom is about just enough. Mm. And the concept, they say, started from like Viking times when you had like the horn of, you know, ale or mead or whatever it was, water, and you passed it around a group of people. So like you yourself had to calculate how much you could drink to quench your thirst, but also leave enough for the rest of the people in the group mm. because like mm. otherwise that would be deeply shameful if you're just like glugging it and they're just like what the hell like we're supposed to be all drinking from the same cup mm. so I mean I, like somebody's asked me about that before like you know why would you leave Sweden and I'm like it's a little bit about like do you want to live like a little life or like a big life and there's that constant tension between my two nationalities I guess the American exceptionalism you know being from a crowd of like overachievers right and just the sort of constant press is like, you know, what's the next goal? Like, how am I going to get there? Instead of like, oh, like we don't work more than 40 hours a week because we like to enjoy our lives and go ice skating on rivers, you know, and drink hot chocolates. And I, th I think ice skating on rivers has to be good for a nation's soul. And like, it, that reminds me of an old frat game I played once called Macho Mug, where at the end of a party, you just pour all of the leftover alcohol into a mixing Ugh. bowl and then oh, it gets no. passed around and the person who finishes <laughs> it wins <laughs> and loses yeah <laughs> oh and God. it was me <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite musical number from this movie like from the moment fernando started i was just in a state of pure joy <laughs> I, I don't know how you could be just the final kind of credits musical number where, again, like everyone dancing and singing with their younger self, like mm. is just such a, <laughs> a joyous, amazing thing mm. to see any movie do. So, yeah, I'm going to pick the the obvious one. Joy? I would say the Meryl Streep one that just like made me cry bucket. It's, it was just so out of left field. You know, it had been like relatively light before then, even though it was kind of lightly treating like how we interface with grief and like how do we like honor people. And, and of course, it's Meryl Streep too. So just really drove home that sort of poignancy of like loving someone and wanting them so desperately to be there, but they're always going to be there in your heart. And that has to be enough. Mm hmm. The titular performance of Mamma Mia is so great. Like the electricity yes. of those three characters. Yes. We haven't talked about Lily James just being a 
fucking genius. Oh like gosh, she she's is amazing. She's so <laughs> great. Like every nice thing one of the men says about her in this movie is like ac- I feel like actually true about mm-hmm. this actress. Like she she makes everyone feel like they're smiling. Whatever. It's just mm. it's the best. That performance is so good. It brings out the wonderful characteristics of those three characters mm. in a in a lovely way. Like I'm filled with joy the entire time. Mm. And then on the opposite end, yes, my the my love my life mm. uh, scene it, it, like slays me. And the wonder. Sorry, I'm picking three things. <laughs> Three dads, three songs. <laughs> the wonderful things that like late career shares voice does mm-hmm. in Fernando. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her voice does fascinating stuff in Fernando. And I, I love it the most. I love it the most. Alex, can you say how you responded when Cher first showed up the first time you saw this movie? I was like, oh my God, Lady Gaga. <laughs> and for several minutes, I was under the impression Lady Gaga was in this movie. <laughs> Until I realized it was Cher and it was a double surprise. Like, what a nice secondary surprise. And I thought the same thing, too. I knew Cher was in this movie. Mm-hmm. I knew it was happening. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, my God, it's Lady Gaga. <laughs> First name Lady, last, last name Gaga, Gaga is in this movie. <laughs> That's another thing that's worth talking about is like, as a character, I love how grandma shows up. Is like, I know I wasn't invited because I've been a shitty family member. Mm. Let's just look beyond the past 25 (laughs) years. Like, it feels like some like real share shit. And I like it a Mm -hmm. lot. At the same time, if anyone in my life shows up after 25 years of being absent, (laughs) I'm going to kindly ask them to take their helicopter off the island. (laughs) (laughs) What if it were share, though? Well, I mean, we, we can make some exceptions. This is, you know. I'm not married to this idea. (laughs) (laughs) I also really love Abba's commitment to like at least nodding to the existence of other languages. Like Fernando is such an interesting song because you're like, of course, these young Swedes are singing about fighting in the war in Mexico, I guess. Like, I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) I, I do think that like because Swedes are always writing in not their native language, like it always comes out like a bit wonky you know all those swedish produced pop songs that we love like ace of bass and like um all the in sync like you hit me baby one more time is like a swedish mm. uh, saying like slow and signal like it call me on the phone oh but when it's translated into english it's like that's hit a me very baby. confusing translation yeah we're not we're not so good about that i think i feel like today would be like ping me baby one more time but uh-huh. but then it's like the little mistakes are honestly one of the things i find most endearing because it's yes. like you're experiencing this music that see, to me feels like perfect Mm -hmm. and then you have a tiny little translation error like since many years i haven't seen a rifle in your hands and you're like they're human like us Mm. Mm. i feel like a a special tenderness for like flawed uh, second language english speakers because Mm -hmm. both my parents speak english with like you know you know mistakes like they've Mm. taken english and made it their own but they obviously have like their own spin like they'll say things like electric city and it's just oh, it's like just that. so cute. Like you're just like you've been here for 40, 50 years, but it's still electric city. And it's like the quote unquote correct version of things is often just sort of something we arbitrarily settled on. Hmm. And 
language gets improved by mm. chopping and mixing. Yeah. yeah, English is infamous for having like the worst language pronunciation rules out of all of the languages. It's just like, well. Right. It's it's very simple. We just took, you know, the rules of all 19 languages we <laughs> stole from and then we used them simultaneously. I don't yes. know why people are confused about it. It's a very omnivorous language. <laughs> and we have, you know, the, the grammars of Latin and French mm. and German. It's fine. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> so one thing I can't believe that I haven't talked about as a joyful occasion in this movie is Waterloo. Oh, yes. The original. There's specifically a scene where Lily James lifts a like it's like a sort of a, what is that called? It's like a like a cone over a tray to protect the food or whatever. It's fancy. And she lifts it up and there's a head. Yeah. Singing in it. Singing. <laughs> And it looks like she genuinely had no idea there was going to be a head there. Like her, her surprise in that scene delights me every single time. I'm just like, oh, she didn't know. Here's a question. A culture's approach to musicals is so fascinating and so telling. And I feel like there are a lot of movie musicals that are kind of apologetic for being musicals. And this is not one of them. <laughs> and I'm curious from both of you, like what like what do you need from a musical? Like what makes you happy? What makes you feel like, yes, this is I'm like f experiencing a musical. I felt like they did it really well, like both in both Mamma Mia's is that like you you don't need a lot of plots. You just have to be like fully committed to the songs that you're singing. And, you know, it's the show like entertain me. Mamma Mia does that in spades, full on choreo and everything. And I love that we're in a world where we have musical numbers that I think happen in that classic musical way of like, this mm. is an expression of what's happening emotionally. And it's not, re it's figuratively happening. Mm. And then half the time it's just like, no, these people are just singing and they really are. <laughs> and that's how you graduate in this world. You know, what's the saddest thing about this world is, is ABBA doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. that is strange. Because I thought for a minute, I was like, are these people just paying homage oh. to ABBA? But Fernando's name is Fernando. So like, <laughs> I don't think he was named after the ABBA. He was not named after the ABBA song. That would not make any sense. That'd be quite a coincidence. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is in ABBA's universe that they created. Like this exists in the ABBA universe. And so they don't have an ABBA. I hope that they have some stand in for ABBA. I guess they have Don and the Dynamos. Yeah, exactly. Like Don and the Dynamos are supposed to be the ABBA of <laughs> that universe. There's a guy on Donna's team. The The only scene in this that makes me uncomfortable is at one point Donna's going through her staff and, and adjusting their clothing in a way that makes sense. But also I'm just like, this is weird. But there's a guy in that scene who we then see throughout the rest of the dance numbers who has like a bit of like a gut and he's got a goatee. And that guy goes so hard in every song. Like he is, he dances wonderfully aggressively mm. we have that that dancing man we have this greek man we have this goat we have a horse what's not to love go see this movie <laughs> and also just like it's november we just fell back into standard time or whatever it is now where you get an hour of sleep extra and then you pay for it for six months of misery mm. like this is a very bright beautiful sunshiny movie i think it, it's like it's necessary mm. at this time of year definitely as a traveler, is there anything that you want more people to know about that is just a, a place people don't think to go or things they don't maybe necessarily think to do? 
this doesn't exactly answer your question, but like it does have to do with Greece in particular. That there are very popular destinations that like I've actually dipped in. Like I'm not going there because they're so popular, like Hawaii and Greece. But at the end of the day, it turns out they're just fucking magical and lovely to everyone. So like, yeah, you know, don't be too cool to like check out places that people love already. I think that's a great answer because that totally fits with with the Mm. whole ABBA thing where it's like sometimes like there's a line in Peep Show that I love, which is like people listen to Coldplay and vote for the Nazis. You can't trust people. (laughs) But like sometimes people like a lot of people love something that actually is amazing. And ABBA is one of those things. And yeah. And these places you're saying now. I love Mm. that. I just learned that that famous gif of Jay-Z, like sort of biting his lip and bombing his head like this, uh, was him at a Coldplay concert. (laughs) I don't know if that's fake or real, but I'm deciding it's real. Well, this has been an absolute joy, but we haven't asked. This is this is like the movie to ask this question about. This is the movie, Mm. which is we don't know who the dad is. In this movie, for those who I want to say this because, like, we we say this and like we get new listeners every week. Like, this question is a relic from when we were a show called Why Our Dads, and we ask usually we know who the dad is, but who is the daddy? It's it's left over. This movie funny because we don't know who the dad is, but we can still answer who is the daddy. Well, I'm gonna say it's Donna, all the Donnas, because she embodies the concept that I feel like I am trying to practice and I like fall away and get sad and then I remember and come back of just like live your life with faith and love and open to love and experience and to meeting people and also being like you're engaged that's gross goodbye (laughs) Um, (laughs) and there's nothing braver than openness and that's Mm. kind of I think what we're seeing as as the matriarchal gift here openness to love and to relationships and to joy and to accepting what you want and and doing that and uh yeah that's my answer I love it yeah I I definitely think Donna is a daddy because as Sarah said that she's just so brave right so And committing to something with passion is something that I feel like we all need to learn how to do. It's easy to be like a dabbler, a dilettante, and just like put your like fingers into a couple of pies and just like you can never fail if you never fully commit. Yeah. Like that's how to live, like open hearted and just like, you know, fall face first into whatever you're doing and see how it goes. (laughs) Because you, you, you have faith that you'll be able to adapt and pick yourself up and keep going. Yeah. And not pulling any of that like, oh, I I don't like to sing. Mm. I don't know thing. Just like, just be like, okay, yes, we're singing. We're doing it. Let's go. Yes, we're just belting <laughs> it out into the universe, like what we want and our hopes and fears <laughs> and sadness and, and we deserve to be heard. Yeah. I'm going to pick uh, Tanya, who's Christine Baranski's character, <laughs> who delivers the line, be still my beating vagina, which is. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Such a good line. <laughs> a legend. I, I mean, it's like it's it's like a Rocky Horror line, although yeah. like Rocky Horror never got that graphic. Like it is. I'm not saying the word vagina is not graphic, but it does hit you in an interesting yes. way in this movie. Her absolutely. And God, like Fernando, I've never seen Andy <laughs> Garcia in this light. Really? Well, it's a whole new world now, Alex. 
It was because of his beard, his like salt and pepper beard yeah. was just so compelling. It's the it is the beard. <laughs> Andy Gar like I love Andy Garcia in anything I've ever seen him in, but he's yeah, he almost looks like a computer animated Al Pacino a lot of the time. And and in this, <laughs> it's the beard like anchors him in a physical reality, which mm, I really like. Yeah. He doesn't have a beard in Dead Again, but I think I want you to experience that Andy Garcia. I will. I'll report back. <laughs> Joy, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I'm on the Twitters under my name, Joy Huilin. And yeah, I'm around. Awesome. Joy, thanks so much for sharing not just the love for this movie, but also all the other insights you brought. It was great to have you. It was so lovely. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of You Are Good. Thank you to Joy Hui Lin for being a part of this fabulous conversation about Mamma Mia. I was so happy to have Joy here. This was a wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you so much to our illustrious producer and music director, Carolyn Kendrick. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but Carolyn is now producing You're Wrong About. Carolyn's busy. <laughs> you can find some of the songs that Carolyn has produced for this show and Carolyn's other music at carolynkendrick.com. There's an album called The Music of You Are Good Volume 1 that you can find on Bandcamp and streaming. Please check that out. And speaking of music, thank you so much to Fresh Lesh for producing the beats that you hear on this show. We appreciate you, Lesh. You help this whole thing sound great, and we appreciate that. That's the best. Thank you for listening to the show. You are fellow You Are Good folks. Find us on Instagram, find us on Twitter, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash you are good. If all goes to plan, we will be covering Thor Ragnarok next week. We'll see. All goes to plan. We will be joined by Fangirl Jean and we will cover Thor Ragnarok. And I think that's it. I think that's all you need to know for right now. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us.